Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast by sexually working our way through a wealthy family. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my sense of dread so foreboding it kills my symbolic horse, <laughs> Joe Reed. I love I love a symbolic horse. Symbolic horses are rampant throughout uh, Hollywood and filmmaking. And the symbolic horse in this movie, I think, was a tipping point for some of the people who didn't like it. I think they thought yeah. it was a little too heavy-handed. However, I think I think it's fine that it's heavy-handed because remove the symbolic horse from this movie, right? And then it's all just entirely suggestion Mm -hmm. and vibe and sense of foreboding without anything to actually like hang it on right i still don't think you can hang it on the horse like i still feel like everything that happens in this movie is is vibes like the horse did kind of die of vibes you know what i mean like the 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 horse horse died died of bad bad vibes vibes. um but I, I don't know. I think not to be like nothing happens in this movie, but you do oh, need sure some type of. I think at least for Carrie Coon's character, yeah, 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 something to, to tip her, tip her scales, yeah, 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 something to like, yeah, you know, when like in life, when everything's going wrong, mm-hmm. it's not the thing that's going wrong that like right you know you end up putting all of your weight in everything right. is going wrong it's, right yeah. it's the thing that is extraneous to everything going wrong but could still be bad and then like that is the source of all of your it's true pain in those situations oh poor richmond um what a good movie though I can't wait to talk about this movie. I think I we're this, this movie's so two biggest fans. So I think a lot of people really this movie was like 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like this was not, you know. Some of those reviews though are somewhat damning in that it is I mean, it was like an 80 on Metacritic too. But yeah. there I think especially a lot of the Sundance reactions were like, what is this movie? It was Sure. You sure. understand why a Sean Durkin movie would go to Sundance, but it was yeah. also maybe the wrong. You know who was all in on this movie? movie is our friend and future guest, very coming up soon, very future guest uh, Richard Lawson, who called it one correct. of the best movies of the year, which it was. It really was. I mean, yeah. in a especially in a year where we didn't get many movies, uh, especially right. many good movies. 
uh, we'll talk about that Sundance, though, because I think... That Sundance is very fascinating, because Sundance happened right. in the year where we thought it would be a normal year, and then it turned out to be a very not normal year, and So throughout that not normal year, a lot of people were looking to what played at Sundance, because mm-hmm. it's already a movie that kind of existed in the world. And mm-hmm. of course, there were movies that were held for a while most like notoriously zola which you know a24 right. held for right. more than a full year right before putting it in theaters yep yeah it's a fascinating lineup of movies and the thing i was listening to the blank check episode on mank earlier and they talk about the sort of the memory holding of a lot of those movies from 2020 where they just exist in this kind of pit that we don't always really want to look down into, you know what I mean? And like, <laughs> there, it's sort of a, a year we've tried to paper over in a lot of ways. And so you look at even the movies that were very good that year, you know what I mean? Like even, even Nomadland is a best picture winner or Judas and the Black Messiah or Minari, even Minari, which like Minari was my favorite movie of that year. And I don't like it any less now, but nobody really talks about Minari right now, which is kind of, you know, um, kind of too bad. Also, like, what is Lee Isaac Chung doing? And I would like him to make He's doing the Twister sequel. Oh, right. So depressing. (laughs) I don't care how hot that cast is, as Joe likes to mention. Here's what I will say, though. The second that trailer comes out, I guarantee you I'm tweeting it with a we're so back uh, comment <laughs> on it. So I don't know, man. Like, I talk a big game, and yet I, I will be all in on the Twister sequel, probably. So we'll see. I it's mean, I'll have be two all in cows. On it too. I just, I, you wish that Lee Isaac Chung would get to do literally whatever. The I hell say he this wants about Lee Isaac Chung. I say this about Barry Jenkins. Any of these filmmakers who get stuck doing weird commercial stuff or television and i'm and we'll talk about sean durkin you know where jenkins television is exceptional television that clearly he wanted to do yes but it means that we haven't had a barry jenkins feature in five years gonna be you know what i mean like it it's i would trade it you know what i mean and that's that's just me um yeah but that's the reality of the situation these days. Sean Durkin will definitely talk about the reality of an indie filmmaker who made a big splash. And then this is his second, the nest is his second feature nine years later. And there's mm-hmm. reasons for that. Which is almost surprising that the Iron Claw came together so quickly. Well, <laughs> because he's you been... know, when you have these giant gaps and like, also he's become more prolific in TV recently yeah. too. He'd been working on that one for a while, though, like, at least the script for it. Like, that was one of his, like, ideas in his ideas bank mm-hmm. um, that he had been pouring over for a while. I'm so excited for the Iron Claw. I can't even tell you. Like, Let's get oh into the Iron Claw now. Because, okay. like, the Iron Claw is... People have started less... to see it. It started to screen. Our good friend and former guest Matt Jacobs saw it and sent me the best message, uh, best DM I've ever gotten, which is, it's really good it's definitely a Sean Durkin movie. And then I just replied, like, all caps, like, I knew it! Because that trailer came out, and everybody was like, this doesn't look like a Sean Durkin movie. And (laughs) um, I knew it. I knew... Because the other thing is... Well, we'll talk about Dead Ringers in a little bit. But, like, having seen his episodes of Dead Ringers this year, I'm like, he's still got it. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. he's still very much 
you know, that filmmaker, that quasi, you know, not horror, but horror filmmaker. And I'm excited to see what he does, what he brings of that quality to the Iron Claw, a story that I know very well because I watched wrestling in the 90s. And uh, the character who Jeremy Allen White plays, Carrie Von Erich, who was the only one of this family of wrestling brothers to, during my time watching the WWF, which is now the WWE, to have wrestled in the WWF, which was like the big commercial, like, wrestling federation and he was sort of a upper mid-level star for a while for a couple of years and then injury kind of derailed that and then ultimately he's one of the it's not a spoiler to say like most of those brothers died like that's the whole reason you're telling that story um this sort of family of cursed you know but his brother you know he had already had brothers who had died and it's a whole it's a dark story but it's also like just a very sad and tragic story and it'll be very interesting to see what kind of sort of haunted quality Durkin brings to it like it won't be hard i think to bring some of what he does very you know best to that movie i think ever since we heard that this was going to be skipping the festivals mm-hmm. partly because it wasn't finished in mm-hmm. time for festivals but then opening wide on christmas yes. i think while that was exciting to us, people who like Sean Durkin's movies, yeah. it was also scary because we were like, wait, yeah. is he doing some type of mainstream movie? Which is why I think, you know, hearing from Matt that it is very Sean Durkin-y uh, is a relief to us. But the other side of that, that coin, though, is because at least something mainstreamy might have a shot at, like, connecting to audiences. Now my worry is that, like, it's going to get disappeared in the Christmas season and completely overshadowed. And because all of these, you know, precursor awards are set, I know they've all seen, you know, anybody who's voting for something will have seen it on a in a screening or something like that by now. But there is a way that like late December movies just don't get recognition or consideration from precursor awards. And this is the kind of movie that's going to need that kind of buzz to Mm -hmm. make its mark. And I hope it can. I haven't seen anybody granted like, Full reviews are still under embargo, but there's social sentiments allowed. I haven't seen anybody kind of over the moon about it in a way that would think me to lead that that's going to happen. I saw somebody tweet about, like, let's not forget uh, uh, the Iron Claw as we get into voting for precursors. And now I can't remember who it was. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm very guarded when it comes to my hopes for this movie because I want right. the world for it. And I think it's, I do feel like, it now does seem to be i mean hey at least this movie's getting released which is more than jeff nichols can say for uh the bike riders so right, right. alas and i Those- mean it'll be i'm sure martha marcy may marlene got enough to be uh considered a wide release at some point but like yeah. this is certainly going to be his widest oh, sure. release yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's cool i am very curious to see where i come down on Zach Efron's performance because mm-hmm. I have seen trusted opinions, people whose like 
taste I usually align with and trust say that he's very good, and yeah. I've also seen people whose <laughs> taste I align with and trust say that he is not very good. Oh, interesting. So, I'm very curious. I'm I'm curious about his performance too. I'm excited for Jeremy Allen White and Harris Dickinson. I feel like those have a real good and Holt McCallany, who like I've just rewatched Mindhunter recently, so like I'm very very much. Uh, in a big Holt McCallany place, and he's so good on that show, and I'm excited. And of course, Maura Tierney as the mother. I was going to say, you know, I'm excited for Maura Tierney, but I have heard not a single thing about her. Performance. I I don't think her role is that big, as from what no, from what I'm hearing. Not. Um, I have just recently started, as I texted you the other day, started watching the new Brit Marling show, A Murder at the End of the World. So Harris Dickinson is on that, and he's doing a very good job on that. So Joe sent me a text saying he loves the Brit Marling show. I resisted all urges to send a pretends to be shocked <laughs> meme at him. I'm only two episodes into it. So I don't, uh, loves is, is probably premature, but I'm very into it. Like I, it's, it's, it's hitting all my buttons. So uh, <laughs> I'm very happy to have a new Brit Marling show back in my life. Just, just to say that. Very happy to be closer and closer. To, I wish we could have recorded this after we've seen the Iron Claw, but I know that would probably mean we would be doing it next month. And yeah. next month we've got other things in other store. things in store, indeed. Um, yes. but yeah, we we shall see. I'm yes. very excited for this movie. Uh, especially among the Christmas glut, the Christmas lineup of movies. While, you know, everybody bemoans the state of the box office, we'll see whatever uh, box office discussion gets dropped into our movie yeah. Fantasy League right. uh, yeah. for this episode. But I do think that this is a much more adult mm-hmm. Christmas movie going season that I think I'm more excited for. The type mm-hmm. of movies that might have some legs to them. It's the expansion of American fiction, Poor Things, Iron Claws opening, Color Purple is opening, Ferrari is opening. And then you have, like, Aquaman kind of being an afterthought. But I'm sure it'll make some money. But all those other movies that you're talking about have such a wide variance to them. I could see all of them doing better than expected or worse than expected. And it's just... I don't it think fills Ferrari's me... going to do better than expected. Well, But I'm happy it's not. there. Probably not. But I'm more talking about, like... Poor things in American fiction and right. and the color purple and that kind of stuff. Where like you can see a world in which they overperform, and you can see a world, unfortunately, in which they underperform, which will bum me out. In all those cases, really, you know. So it does just feel like uh, when you look at '90s weekend box office, it feels like some type of yeah weekend from the '90s. Yes, it does. But in the 90s, all of those movies would make money. <laughs> and <laughs> I just want that back. Right. I, I, want, I want that reality back. Go, go to the movies, people. Like, no, our, the problem is, I can rant and rave all I want. Our listeners are not the problem. <laughs> our, you know what I mean? It's everybody else, for God's sake. Make your, your family go see a film this yes. holiday Yes. Uh, season. Make weekend, that your gift whatever. to your good pals at this head Oscar buzz. <laughs> Joe, uh, yes. tell our listeners about this head Oscar buzz turbulent brilliance. Oh, do you mean our uh, Patreon that we've recently launched? And for $5 a month, they can get two bonus episodes per month. That that turbulent brilliance? Is that of which you speak? Uh, yes. 
Um, yeah, so uh, this had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance is our new Patreon for $5 a month. You get two new episodes per month. One of those episodes every month where uh, it's going to be an exceptions episode, which is a movie that for all but one or two Oscar nominations would have qualified for the main feed of This Had Oscar Buzz. We do not do any movies on the main feed that had any nominations at all, but you can get a couple of Oscar nominations and still be, in general, a disappointment. Recently, we have talked about Barbara Streisand's The Mirror Has Two Faces, which was a uh, fascinating conversation. We had our good pal Katie Rich on to talk about Baz Luhrmann's Australia um, I think we'll all remember our listener's choice episode on the lovely bones and the tomb that that placed in the middle of our house. Then for a second episode every month, we'll be getting what is called an excursion episode. And those are ones where we travel far afield of our normal format and talk about not movies, but movie-related ephemera. The 1996 MTV Movie Awards was a recent one. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter Actress Roundtables are very much fodder for this. We have coming up an awards race, 2023 awards race, state of the precursor, state of the state <laughs> of the awards race coming up. And I imagine we'll have quite a few thoughts. We tend to let that kind of bleed into our regular episodes anyway, but this is going to be a fully dedicated, take a look at what's happening. We'll be in the middle of December precursor season and still have all sorts of, uh, you know, all sorts of award season to look forward to. So there'll be a lot to talk about there. We will hopefully have a lot to talk about with regard to Sean Durkin and the Iron Claw if things go well for that. So like I said, $5 a month, you'll also get things like you can send in questions for our listeners, our uh, Patreon-only mailbag. You can send in voicemails that we will answer that we uh, ha- are posting a few times every month and uh, answering your various questions. We have been having such a good time, Chris, doing that. That's maybe um, uh, one of my favorite developments of the Patreon so far. We will have polls that you can vote in, and and we are not done innovating for the Patreon. So we are uh, we're cooking up some ideas, and 2024 should hopefully be a very interesting uh, year for the Patreon. So that's why it's important that you should you know get in now and and don't miss a bit of it because we're having a great time over there. That what better uh, during the holiday season to do in the season of giving, where you're giving to everyone else? Gift yourself something nice with a five dollar subscription to our Patreon. As Barbara Streisand and uh, Celine Dion sang in the very boring song, Tell Him, uh, love can be the gift you give yourself. And so let this head Oscar buzz be the gift you give yourself this holiday season. And Um, we should also add, as of this recording, we have some newly open slots on our sponsor level. If you are feeling particularly generous and you want to give yourself an even nicer gift, we have a sponsor tier level that gets you some extra bonuses like personalized thank yous from us if you subscribe at that level for three straight months you're gonna get to pick an episode on the main feed so yeah keep that in mind very very exciting there to sign up for this head oscar buzz turbulent brilliance you all you have to do is go to our patreon page at patreon.com slash this had oscar buzz do it you won't regret it Uh, what's the thing that uh that Natalie Portman says in in Garden State, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. Subscribe to this head Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance. It will change your life. 
I thought All you right. were going to say, what's the thing that Natalie Portman says in May, December? And I was like, well, here's a list of five things that knocked me <laughs> off my ass that come out of her mouth in that movie. Natalie Portman in May, December says, Vithev Askabov. <laughs> Please go subscribe. Listen to the accession. <laughs> uh, tracking the lisp throughout the course of that movie is so fascinating. The way she picks it up and then and then puts it away uh, uh, later on, it's so good. The moments and- where she is not the character trying to play the character that Julianne Moore is playing, but the moments that it feels like Natalie Portman is trying to do Julianne Moore, mind-blowing. Well, and movie. also... Like add into that the, the the added twist that Natalie Portman has a lisp. You know what I mean in real life. Like that's the most like wild thing. So it's like a- acting on acting on acting. You know, like this like nesting doll. It's amazing. Listeners, if you weren't able to catch it in theaters by the time this episode airs, May December is on Netflix. Do yourself a treat oh, and watch the best movie of the year. It's so good. It is your number one of the year. That's interesting. Not, nope, no, nothing's pushing it out. Really? In a year that I think we've had at least three outright bona fide masterpieces, it's easily my number one. There's nothing that's lurking out there that you think has the potential to knock it out. Um, I mean, at this point, I haven't seen Poor Things. I haven't seen, obviously, The Iron Claw, but I just, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if anything's gonna do as much as yeah that I haven't seen is gonna do as much as made. I'm excited to see it again. There's so many. It's very. It's a rich text. It's so interesting that some of the reaction to it are like, "Oh, this is Todd Haynes doing like a TV movie." Like, and and like part of that is intentional, but like it's 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 a it's a fantastic work. It's a fantastic it's a rich piece. text. It's a rich, rich text. Yes, exactly. It's a rich text about straight society and how this is uh, my favorite Chris Bugaboo here is that Chris is like, this movie is an indictment of straight society, which is, I feel like uh, <laughs> your is. highest, your highest praise for a movie is if it can be an indictment of straight society. I love it. <laughs> um, there was something recently that we talked about where you we were like, this is about how straight society in the suburbs are killing uh our our uh, will kill a person will to live um yeah. as well as not not oh it was hereditary that's right oh. that was the that was the secret uh, message of hereditary that that you were like the suburbs are toxic the and... nuclear unit is toxic right yes. right um, right yes not not some of the, the nest <laughs> well, is a movie I was gonna say, speaking of the nest <laughs> the nest is a movie i think I, I I wonder if it'll be the only happy ending Sean Durkin ever makes. Uh-huh. And in a way, uh-huh. like even that's qualified because it's like you go through some shit in this movie to get to the happy ending. But like, spoiler alert, the end of the movie is literally the family finally unified together around the table. And I don't feel like that's talk. It's like it's a nuclear unit that it's like, oh, thank God they managed to figure it out and stay together. And it's not. I mentioned I don't feel like it's mired in a lot of, you know. Yeah, I, hate? I mentioned that our that our friend Richard Lawson really loved this movie, and I read his Vanity Fair review last night, and he mentions that that he had seen it at Sundance, and uh, it had presented itself as this very sort of like dark and cynical movie, and then he had mentioned that seeing it again in the fall after you know the realities of COVID had sort of settled in, and he's like, I, I was able to find 
the optimism in that finale where, you know, despite all of this, you know, happening, they are still together. They are still in the same room and bonded to each other. And no matter, you know, what resentments and what sort of, you know, situation that they're in, that somehow there is some kind of, you know, a twisted optimism at the end there. And and it is very apparent when you see that. And it's just like, oh, and they mentioned, like the actors did mention that too when they did press for it. And Durkin mentioned it too. And you're right when you compare it to the ending of Martha Marcy May Marlene, which is so... Which is just unsettling. like you will never know peace again. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly right. Um, so I guess we'll see what the Iron Claws ending is like and whether what what the tiebreaker is on that one. Um, Can't imagine that it's going to be uh, uplifting, but, but you would think that too as you're watching the nest. So you never really know. You never really know. That's what I love about him as a filmmaker. Uh, he throws you those curveballs. These two lead performances as well. I think Carrie Coon was my best actress winner of this year. I um, now I gotta go and 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 see now that you've mentioned that because if she wasn't my number one, she was up there. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Jude Law is also great. We've talked at length in previous episodes about how the best Jude Law is, you know, a man who's over his head or not as capable or smart as he thinks he is, but is putting on the veneer of capability. Does this does this performance and this role remind you of him in I Heart Huckabees or what? Like genuinely, one million percent. It's like if his I Heart Huckabees character is the like underachiever but more charming this is the less charming achiever yeah basically yeah um all right so i'm looking at the uh it's nice that i have the blankies wiki page that i can refer to um when i wonder because i had my i have my master list but that sort of has has uh kind of gotten a little bit more disorganized over slowly chipping away at picking a master list just that i can refer to for the efforts of this podcast but yeah yeah david sims and i both had carrie coon in the nest as our number one i was uh carrie coon in the nest julia garner in the assistant francis mcdormand in nomadland carrie mulligan in promising young woman and Haley bennett in swallow that was my top great call Haley bennett is great in that movie i remember that was like that was a fifth slot that i was really really wrestling with and well i like badgered you to watch that yes you did yes she swallows what if what if someone swallowed things um yeah, she's tremendous. That, that just being like holding it up to a camera and being like, she's gonna swallow this <laughs> makes you want to leap out of your skin. Just like a pushpin. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I had the. I'm glad I was. I was on the on the ball though with Carrie Coon in the nest. Like that. It's it's. Oh, it's such a good performance. But the two of them together, like genuinely, um, it's it's a great. Like you said, it's a great flavor of Jude Law. Two and, people you wouldn't think have would have chemistry, but do actually have a lot of chemistry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and do make sense in this movie. Jude Law is at an interesting point in his career when he does this movie too. So he um, he's on an upswing, kind of. He yes. came back at least into popular culture, even if it was things that weren't beloved, like Fantastic Beasts and Captain Marvel. Right. He's right. you know at least out there in the public again. And I think people mm-hmm. were also like, wait, Jude Law is even hotter than before. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's doing things like Young Pope. 
That's right. Oh my God. What Speedo if the Pope, Pope was young and hot? Like, um, what if the Pope wore a Speedo? <laughs> the Pope wore a Speedo. Um, uh, my favorite joke back then that I would say always and nobody would ever laugh and probably rightly so was when the two popes came out and I would just be like a four squad, a four quad photo of Anthony Hopkins, Jonathan Price, Jude Law, and, um, Oh, who Malkovich. was the second season? Malkovich. And it was like one Pope, two Pope, young Pope, new Pope. Like, which, come on. That's not bad. That's not bad. You got to give it to me. Um, Listeners, send horn sounds to Joe Reed, please. <laughs> Do you have like prices right Trombones. Like, wah, trombones wah, 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 wah. Tomatoes, tomatoes, trombones, trombones. <laughs> you can't say tomatoes, tomatoes on Thanksgiving weekend and not have me think, I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkey. Have you ever seen that? Maybe. Riss. Maybe. We're doing this live. We're we're doing this live. I'm sending you. I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, and you're going to react to it live on on the podcast. It's going to be a moment. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. So this was like, this was like pre TikTok, but this is sort of like the only thing with a TikTok ethos. This was like a. Ooh, there we go. Before pointing at words, culture became a thing. Right. Okay. So. It's kind of self-explanatory, but for our listeners, there's a video and a remix out there of a uh, a pastor or a preacher of some kind, and her name, shoot, she was on Wendy Williams, and um, and now, is it Shirley Caesar? I think her name is Shirley Caesar. This, like, very notable pastor doing, giving this, like, very, like, theatrical um, sermon. And it's so good that it got remixed for social media, and it is my favorite thing. Second only, maybe, to the uh, guy who goes into the Wendy's and tries to start an argument with the cashier and all the other Wendy's clerks come like to her defense. Have you ever seen that? That one we'll do after. That's my oh, favorite. Oh, I've seen Christmas the looking show. one. I've yeah, seen that. Yeah, but that's, this is what it's part of. All right, so are you watching? Chris is watching. I'm very excited. I'll give you a play-by-play of Chris's face. I got beans, creams, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rice, raw, beans, creams, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, rat. Oh. Oh. Yes. Yes. Oh. 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 She's got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkey. Oh. Chicken, turkey. This is what Carrie Coon should have been dancing. 100%. Yes. Not a, not a cover of Don't Leave Me This Way. Yeah. I'll edit this into the episode. It's so good. Every Thanksgiving, I have to watch it at least once. Enterprising listeners, uh, edit Carrie Coon dancing to this song. Please do. Edit Carrie Coon dancing to I Got Beans, Greens, Potatoes, Tomatoes. Yes. Um, All right. I'm glad we went. I'm glad you got to experience that. Everybody should. Okay. 
we should get into the 60 second plot discussion. We should. Because if we are going so far afield that we are doing beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We got we got to rein it back in. All right. Okay. So, listeners, we are here talking about The Nest, written and directed by Sean Durkin, starring Carrie Coon, Jude Law, Char- Charlie Shotwell, Una Roche, Adil Akhtar, Michael Culkin, and Anne Reed in one scene with ann reed and michael culkin i think is what the is what the credit block is which well is there you good. go yeah joseph reed are you ready with a 60 second plot description so i didn't nest? prepare so this is going to be another joe wings it and fails miserably so this will be if fun. you can't get this in 60 seconds i don't know i mean 75 seconds even all right not a lot of plot all right All right, your 60-second plot description for The Nest starts now. All right, so it's about 1986. Uh, Rory and Allison are a married couple living in New York City with their two kids. Um, And he's a works in finance and uh, talks a good game but she already kind of doesn't trust him and when she and when he suggested they move to london to better his business prospects she sort of side eyes him but she goes anyway and uh he's but they buy this like mansion in surrey that is like way too big for all of them and has these like dark corridors and it's this big horse farm and he wants her to like start a horse farm and train horses so that she'll be happy and he just wants them to project this air of success but it's so empty and he's terrible at business and they keep running out of money and then all of a sudden the horse dies and then all of a sudden strange noises happen in the house and then all of a sudden like the kids are all being mean to her and she says you're like strangers to me and the and the marriage starts to fall apart and she leaves she embarrasses him at many dinners and goes and dances to don't leave me this way and they bury the horse but the horse like unburies itself because of like gas pockets or also maybe haunting but what's haunting them is capitalism and the kids throw a party and you think something bad's going to happen but nothing bad really happens and then Jude Law gets kicked out of a taxi because he doesn't have any money and he has to walk all the way home and by the time he shows up it's morning and they're at the dinner table and everything has gone wrong but they have breakfast together and and you get the sense that they're going to stay together for better or for worse but probably not in this mansion that they cannot afford the end all right just a hair over 30 seconds over all right that's fine um, I got everything, right? His mom, I guess. I didn't mention the fact that, like, the son is bullied. Mom. Right. The son is bullied. Jude Law goes to see his mom, and you get the sense that, like, this sort of striving to better his class has been a thing that's been, you know, uh, driving him all of this time. And mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like it makes him a little bit more, if not relatable, than, like, pitiable. You know what I mean? Where he's obviously. Anne she, Reed is really like kind of tough on him in a yes. way that's just like yeah. you can understand where she's coming from because she's yeah. like oh you've essentially abandoned cut me, out of your me. Life. yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. you're embarrassed out. but then also like you can see why you might want to cut out this really uh-huh. mean woman um, and she Carrie Coon has an interesting relationship with her mother who at like at one point. Uh, She's like, oh, I'm going to miss you. And she's like, of course you, you of course you will. She's like, she, I can't remember what the full line was, but she's like, and I'm a really good time. Like, it sounds like this is like a fun, <laughs> like, like a fun mom. Um, Wendy Crewson plays her mom. Wendy Crewson's great. It's one scene and she's fantastic. Um, and so you get all, you know, you get a little bit of a sense of Carrie Coon's upbringing and she, you know, did not come from money either. And, but she then has sort of like developed a distrust of it 
in mm-hmm. in concert with like she's obviously she wears the furs and she's you know she trains the horses and all that but she has developed a mistrust of their ability to earn and keep this money and i think that's because what we eventually learn too that she has previously bought him out yes in times before what we've seen in the movie right and so i think that plays into this idea that like this house plays as haunted. The thing that Durkin does with this movie is he films it like a, a like a haunted house movie or like a horror movie even though nothing actually the text of this movie is not horror. They had a very interesting time trying to market this movie where everybody tried to call this a psychological thriller and Sean Durkin is like stop saying thriller, you're going to make people drama. expect yeah. a thriller and they're not going to get it. And I I bet you this some of movie, the early Sundance reviews were even disappointed like this is so is this supposed to be a ghost story and they didn't they just kind of didn't if this had played theatrically if it was in a non-covid year and it played theatrically the um cinema scores would have been really bad i think for this movie (laughs) if Um, ifc even does cinema score which we'll get into ifc yeah uh, yes yes um and but I think that's – but, like, I eat that kind of shit up. You know what I mean? Like, this is a movie that's kind of yeah. made for me, that, like, plays with Same. genre, that, you know, you know um, tries to push some kind of, like, overarching feeling of dread. And I like that so much better than a horror – like, a legit horror movie mm-hmm. that plays – too reticent to show you the thing whereas like give me this instead give me something that is not a horror story but you film it as such because that plays into the themes of the yeah. movie oh it's I love a it. it's a drama where like a family is very close to completely falling apart yes. and rather than everyone is everyone's aware of the problems but rather yeah. than the awareness that this family could like yeah disintegrate in you know very short amount of time it's this idea of feeling something wrong Mm -hmm. but not knowing what it is and it surrounds you and it like overtakes your day and such and like that feels very much like it would work as a ghost story you know well you look at you look at the setting for this movie, this big sort of manor, this country house in Surrey and whatnot. And there's that the moment that I always come back to in this movie is she's arguing with she's yelling up the stairs at her kids for something like she's super stressed and she's yelling at them and, and you know, someone didn't do something. And the daughter is being a teenage girl who has no time for her mother. And she kind of, you know, less uh, time for her brother. Well, right. She kind of just like can't stand anybody. And, um, Carrie Coon eventually just sort of yells up, like, you're all strangers to me. Like, what's going on? You're all strangers to me. And to me, that is also playing on this, like, what do we think of these big sort of country mansions? Like, this kind of turn of the screw kind of a thing, right? You're not my mm. children, you know, the others, that kind of a thing, where these where these ghost stories happen, where these children are replaced. And of course, that's the metaphor of those things, is I, I can't relate to my children. I don't know, you know, what's going on with them. And in this case, Durkin sort of reverse engineers that, right? Where it's like the trappings of the horror story are there, but it's ultimately what's, you know, what's more dominant is what's on the page. It's like, it is just, in fact, a mother and a daughter who are not able to communicate 
right now mm-hmm. because of where they are in their lives. And and the mom is angry about everything, and the daughter is going through teenage girl emotions. And that then becomes this window into this horror imagery. And ugh. That's ah, so well done. So well but done. also this like English manor mansion, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. It it plays into the like ghostliness of it. It's like the least pleasing brown home you've ever seen. You can't go also... more than like a foot in front of your face before it gets too dark to see the end of the hall. <laughs> like that kind of a thing. Yeah. Like all that's missing is someone walking around with a giant candelabra. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. But they can't afford the like any butlers or anything that this house is clearly in need of because yeah. of what it is. And I think as much as it's representative of these horror elements, I do think that without even, you know, I, I think we've we we've seen so many movies about wealth and we're going to continue to see them because it's, uh, you know, economic disparities and mm-hmm. like climbing up class uh, is such a, you know, yeah. huge part of our like wider culture and conversations we're having. Mm-hmm. But I think that this is one of the movies that does it best because i feel like it's much subtler it's just being in this space that Mm -hmm. they are not equipped to take care of that they are not in the lifestyle of Mm -hmm. alone projects it and it's the the mansion that they chose for the movie couldn't have been chosen better because you hear Mm -hmm. we're going to go live in this english estate and it's going to be yada yada and you have all of these fantasy versions in your head and then they go into this house which like while stately and beautiful is kind of drab it's not Right. It's not the vision you see it in your head when cold. you think of this it, type of aspirational yeah. lifestyle. Yeah. Well, and the fact that like Jude Law buys this house because of he wants it to he wants to project an air of success not only to people he's working with but like mostly to his family. Like it's not like he has business people over to his house ever. Those are that's accomplished via like these fancy dinners and whatever and we'll talk about the fancy dinners cuz like I can't wait. But um but the house is mostly to project this air of success to his wife and to his kids and to convince his wife and kids that he's doing better than he is and to impress them. And that's kind of amazing because it's just like, at what level, who can you be real with in your entire life? You have nobody then. You're trying to impress everybody. You're trying to upsell everybody on, you know, your this vision of yourself as success, which is what makes me think of Brad Stand in I Heart Huckabees, because that's basically <laughs> what he's doing in that movie. And um, but these dinners, so he'll go out uh to, you know, business dinners with whoever, and he's trying to get them to do a deal with him or or, you know in some way impress them, whether it's his boss or whatever. And she, Carrie Coon, very, very quickly begins to realize that like, oh, there is a desperation in my husband that is unappealing when it gets Mm -hmm. into these sort of situations. And she kind of fights back in this very, um, uh, sort of like caged kind of way where it's just like, okay, well, I can't do anything except for act out in my dinner order. You know what I mean? And so there's that scene where she orders like, I can embarrass you in public, but yes, it's the only thing I can do. 
she's drinking in, in a restaurant. She's ordering, and uh, does she call him my bride or something? Yes, she she to the waiter calls him something that's like diminishing, and and then when the waiter sort of starts to glance at him because she orders like twelve things and the red snapper and three bottles of wine, and then she's like, "Don't look at him. I gave you our order." Like you know, and essentially <laughs> just like big dogs her husband at the table, which is amazing. And when the waiter arrives with the wine to give you know the tasting to see if it's okay, she drinks it straight from the bottle. Yeah, and. Especially, I think that scene there's a there's a danger in the way that this character is written that it would be performed, yes, ridiculous or someone who is maybe living too fabulously, yes. you know something she could be really absurd, and I think there is a not even downplaying, but there is a groundedness to what Carrie Coon is doing that I think is absolutely brilliant and yeah. makes yeah. the scene funnier, makes her a little scary. And but it also just makes you respect her for, him, for her husband and yeah. the audience. She's a combatant in those scenes. She's not just acting out. She's not just like flailing. She's a combatant in those scenes. She also Mm -hmm. smokes cigarettes with all five of her fingers. Like, it's amazing. She like has the whole, (laughs) like, did you notice that? The way she smokes was just like the whole hand is up to her face. And um, her nails haven't gone to full Adele or full Streisand, but like they're getting there. Uh, Yeah. Um, and then the one dinner where she like flatly laughs in his face when he's talking about they want to buy a pied de terre. And she's like, and it genuinely, uh, it, the laughter does feel somewhat spontaneous because she's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. We can't mm-hmm. afford anything. And you're talking about we're going to get a pied de terre. Um, and so she leaves the dinner. She gives her fur coat away and then she walks home and on the way, she stops into this nightclub and gets her whole damn life to um I can't remember pound and who, gin what, and tonics. Uh, yes, pound and gin and tonics and dancing to a remix of Thelma Houston's Don't Leave Me This Way. And that and the um these dreams sound drop at the beginning. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's the only two sound drops I need in this movie. And there's, there's song <laughs> drops in this movie, they're so good. Um God bless. Meanwhile, she's going through the stuff with her horse. He buys her a horse, and the horse immediately is having problems. Mm -hmm. And it goes through basically like some type of seizure, and they have to put the horse down, and they bury it on their property. Yes. And so she's distraught about this, and he's just distraught that, you know, somebody sold him a bad horse or whatever, and he can't see that... His wife is funneling all of her, everything that she is upset and yeah. anxious about into this situation with the horse. Right. Which is funny because it's a situation that he kind of created where he he brings her to, to England. He, uh, But she doesn't really want to go. Like, she says she doesn't really want no. to go. He convinces her that they should move to England. He sets her up and he's like, you should start a horse farm. Like, that will be the thing that you do to keep yourself busy while I am making us a financial success. Um, And he also wants her to come up with her own stream of income because he's probably going to need it at some point. Um, But he's also given her essentially what can be sold or, like, 
told as like this highfalutin like mm-hmm. thing that she can say at cocktail parties like Status. I raise horses blah 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 exactly. blah and she immediately disarms that when people are like oh what do you do and she's like I shovel shit yeah yeah again she's coming for battle All right, Chris, get off your horse. We are here to talk about the Vulture movie Fantasy League. How dare you we, bring up my dead horse again? All due respect to the Gotham's, the, I think, precursor season is finally here. We have the New York Film Critics Circle Awards for 2023, and they have delivered points. Now, here's the thing about awards the points. points. They don't start off very big. Right. These are 20 point and 10 point, uh, you know, little chunks that you're going to get for these awards, but they do accumulate and they do accumulate. And eventually they're going to be the difference in these standings as we go. Chris, top line reactions to the New York Film Critics Circle Awards for this year. I'm so happy about, I mean, I'm, I'm happy about, I would Just, say most of these wins, but say it. Most happy for the Franz Rogowski win. Of course so, you are. I, I mean, list, long time, especially long-time listeners know I am over the moon that it looks like Lily Gladstone is our frontrunner this year, obviously. For best actors, but yes. Franz, I mean, the Franz Rogowski win also made me happy that New York is definitely going to go their own way with at least one of these categories. I think critics groups should always be doing something distinctive that says the point of view of their membership, whatever. I don't want to see like these homogenous winners with critics wins and such. But yes. Franz Rogowski, one of my favorite performances of the year in Passages, now on Mubi. Um, what a great win. What a great win. And uh, was it you that I was talking to that observed that like usually... This group, when they go their own way or they make an advocacy pick uh, to like draw attention to a performance, they usually choose uh, an actress or supporting actress win. Usually, and they yes, did I it think in lead actor. Yes, this time. I was glad that they decided to be adventurous in lead actor. It feels like that's not a direction. Usually, New York film critics, their their um, tendency as of late has been. Uh, Regina Hall for Best Actress, Tiffany Haddish for Supporting Actress. Last year was Kiki Palmer for Supporting Actress. And all of those are great and wonderful, but I think it's really kind of fun and interesting that Lily Gladstone winning actress for Killers of the Flower Moon, Divine Joy Randolph, Divine Joy Randolph for Holdovers, those are, they're not boring, but they are like within the realm of what people are predicting right now. Yeah, Same with those Charles are, Melton. Those are performances that are going to do well all season long. My thing now is I sort of like much as I think Charles Melton and Divine Joy Randolph are very deserving winners for supporting actor and supporting actress, I do hope that there is some variety as those critics award the uh, the further critics awards go in the supporting categories. Um, I, I do don't... think the the it helps. I mean, Charles Melton also won Gotham this year. It's you know debatable how much Gotham, uh, but helps. I think it's an indication of just like how much people are really impressed by that performance. I think he is a shoe in for an it Oscar. It really nomination. does help Charles Melton get an Oscar nomination now. Getting that, getting I think he's. I think here. I would be shocked if he doesn't at this point. Like I think he could not win another Precursor Critics Prize, and I think he could still. He's still going to be solidly in there. Um, but best act. It shows the Franz Rogowski win for Passages really shows that like best actor is kind of in. A free for all right now, and I kind of love mm-hmm. that. It's Rogowski, Killian Murphy, 
uh, Paul Giamatti. I think Leo's going to probably get nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon. We had this conversation on one of our call-ins over on the Patreon that, like, best actor is hard to call a frontrunner right now, and, like, any frontrunner you would maybe place a name on does feel arbitrary at this yes. point. But yeah, that could change at any minute. Interesting that Killers of the Flower Moon takes their best film prize only four years after The Irishman won best film. Um, Interesting, if only that uh, my thought was, because Scorsese had won best film only four years ago, that they might do director for Scorsese this year, but give best film to an Oppenheimer or my, my prediction at the last minute was the zone of interest. Especially Which once didn't they show gave up anywhere here. International and film lost to, international film at Gotham. Yeah, lost international film to Anatomy of a Fall. But to me, my reading of the tea leaves in American critics is that Zone of Interest seems to be the more, um, the more sort of like the more hardcore uh, a choice. Whereas like uh, Anatomy of a Fall seems a little bit more broadly appealing. Whereas like the I imagine Anatomy of, of a Fall will do just fine winning international film prizes for critics awards, even though it's not competing for the Oscar. Uh, yeah, that's true. The fact that it isn't competing for the Oscar is really interesting, but I think that's such an easy consensus movie. I like it better than you do. I will say, um, yeah, but I don't dislike the movie. I'm just not as over the moon with it. And I've accepted I'm not as over the moon with it. Finally, though, I still am a huge fan of Sandra Huller's performance. You, you, you letterboxed recently that, uh, uh, Justine Triet is holding uh, Alicia Rohrwacher's uh, palm door. I think that's where I'm at. Uh, at least uh, Alicia's or Wes Anderson's. I mean, there you go. That's how I feel about the, uh, the Sears Cans movie. Can movies. Christopher Nolan wins Best Director Can for Oppenheimer. I think, in general, I think Oppenheimer and Nolan are still probably the front runners although i definitely think it's much more of a scrum than it was before i kind of expected killers of the flower moon to get a little bit more of a taken for granted reaction as as of thus far and right now that is not the case it's still very early but like i'm very encouraged by both the popular reception to killers and the critical reception so mm-hmm. i still don't think it's going to win best director or best picture but like it's going to be a big contender. It's going to win something. I, who am maybe the Oscar Oppenheimer skeptic, I feel like I'm the only one. Uh, in terms of winning things, I think it's going to get a ton of nominations. But uh, in terms of like winning Best Picture, I'm going to end up winning a bet with you about something about Oppenheimer along the way. I feel like I feel like you I'm say be this because like... you're going to lose our Survivor bet. You are going to lose. What's our, our Survivor bet again? Our Survivor bet is if Jake makes it to the finale, that oh, he I'm... wins. I'm winning that. So what? Wait, what? What is the what My is dude, the terms? You're of it? losing that twenty dollars. What does Jake have to do for me to win that twenty dollars? Win the show? He has to if he makes it. If he if he doesn't make it to the finale, which means he gets eliminated next week, uh, then there's no bet. But if he is in the finale, he went. He has to win for you to win twenty dollars. He's not. What you're? Win. What if he makes the final episode but not the final tribal council? What if he's eliminated before the tri- final tribal? I council? get twenty dollars. Okay. No. All right. I'm still. I'm still very comfortable with that. So Jake needs to needs to win for me to win the bet. Yes. Okay. I'm comfortable with that. If Jake goes home basically this week, 
then it's neither a no of bet. us lose or yeah. win money. Okay. All right. I think you are massively underestimating Jake's appeal with this jury. They did not I show. I think you are massively overestimating his esteem within this jury. In vast, this past episode, they showed a shot of the jurors, Kelly and um, Kendra and What's-His-Face, all were leaning to each other being like, I really feel for Jake right now. They did not do that for nothing. Like That, that doesn't is, mean that they're going to give him a vote for him to win a million dollars. I don't think they saying. respect his game. I'm just saying. All right. Um, what else about speaking of uh, being the Oppenheimer skeptic, you were the one in our group chat who uh, did not think that Hoyta van Hoytema deserved the best cinematography prize. I'm just saying. <laughs> and I know other filmmakers have made this complaint uh, about Christopher Nolan. And I, I just think when you watch that movie and the aspect ratio can change like multiple times within 30 seconds. It just drives me crazy. And you can tell when it switches from regular film stock to IMAX film stock in a way that like, I just find as an experience somewhat jarring. And I say this really, really liking that movie. That's just like, I, I don't get behind. And like cinematography, there's so many options this year. What Besides, would you, where would you lean cinematography wise? Um, Either of Roger, um, Rodrigo Prieto's uh movies which are may december and killers of the flower moon no killers of the flower moon and barbie oh and barbie what who did may december uh may december is christoph blavel yes thank you thank um you. thank you because uh ed latchman was not available right. he w- had right. like surgery or something right his usual dp what else do i have on my long list for cinematography. I haven't made my long list yet. I might do that this weekend. I mean, Asteroid City. Sure. Something like... Uh, Zone of Interest is, as much of it is a divisive movie, it is a divisive movie uh, when you ask people what they think about how that movie was shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then last one, before we move on to the box office. Um 30 seconds to to make your case for past lives not sweeping the best first film awards like they're going to anyway there are so so many good it it, past lives is absolutely going to be sweet it won best film at um the gothams but it won the first films at new york film critics it is going to steamroll the independent spirit awards (laughs) it's going to steamroll critics prizes for best first film too um yeah and i think partly because it is a consensus choice i was so happy that av rockwell won the debut director prize at gotham um we i love a thousand and one uh we've been you still have to catch up to it we've been advocating for a thousand and one uh regularly but there's a lot of other options there's raven jackson for all i can never say this title of this movie right Dirt roads taste of salts yes yes uh there i just think that there's more options in this i mean like i i'm somewhat passionate about first you know and like rooting for other people but like i also think that that's a category that we should never have a singular like move and it seems to kind of happen every year it does seem to kind of happen every year and this is why i advocate for it as an oscar category because i think it would encourage more variety in precursors yeah. yeah yeah all right box office let's talk about it over the thanksgiving break over the thanksgiving weekend um 
that ballad of songbirds and snakes really like still trying in there. Like it, it had stickier staying power than I thought it is right now. As of the Thanksgiving weekend, it was just on the verge of going over a hundred. It certainly must have gone over a hundred by now. Um, uh, yes, it. Yes, domestic. It's right now at 110 million. It's it's chugging along. Um, Still going to be number two to Beyonce this weekend. Yeah, have you been following that along? I I I've I haven't tuned out the Beyonce thing, but there is a degree of white noise to every homosexual around me vibrating on a Beyonce level. That I am great movie. Sort of, I had a wonderful time. I believe you. I believe you. Um, Napoleon beat out Wish uh, over Thanksgiving, which I think was the big surprise. Just how badly <laughs> Wish did, just how bad of a year Disney is having that nothing is going well. And like, even a like long as hell a historical epic is going to beat out the big family film of the weekend. Uh, Dave Gonzalez, our good friend who we of course thank every week and whose support we could not, uh, adequately literally could not do uh, the show without Dave. Exactly. Uh, mentioned on Twitter, which is, you know, not a novel observation, but one I think people probably should be making a little bit more, which is that like, maybe we do put this on the fact that like that Disney plus really took away Mm -hmm. the theatrical imperative for people seeing these movies. And my thing is, especially when you talk about, and like the pandemic's impact cannot be overestimated. This was obviously a thing that like people couldn't go to the movies for a very long time. And like, that was a thing. But when families who used to spend money to buy four tickets to see a show are now paying one price a month later so that everybody can gather in the same living room and watch a movie. Even if you have to pay $30. Even for PVOD, right. Even for PVOD, you're coming out on the losing end of that. And like, so you have disincentivized the theatrical, you have overemphasized Disney Plus. And as many people were saying back when they were doing it, you are sacrificing a cash cow in theatrical in order to prop up something that does not make you money Mm -hmm. in your streaming platform. The vault no longer exists. And like, they were going to open it like opening up the vault is a, you know, the the artificial scarcity that Disney created was not a thing that most studios did and like was not a thing that I probably was happy with. Like, I don't know if you need to be that extreme about it in terms of like we have a vault or whatever, but creating the expectation that new movies can just be like waited out in the span of only a few weeks you have absolutely like parents can put their kids off for a few weeks. Parents I still also probably... wonder like, but you have to get out of the house. Sometimes you have to get the kids out of the house. Like I remember having the conversation, the realization uh, with my mother, because like, I remember like my dad would take me to the movies on Christmas Eve mm-hmm. when I was a young kid and I remember saying that to my mom, and she's like, yeah, how do you think your Christmas presents got wrapped? <laughs> because we had to get you out of the house yeah, so that that could be done. Yeah. So, like, I just wonder what's supplementing that. Yeah, yeah. All right, anyway, um, last thoughts on... We're going to make this a quick update so we can get you back to the nest because... Uh, um, but Everybody's uh, hungry for that nest. 
everybody's hungry for that nest. Anyway, go and check out uh, vulture.com slash movies dash league to see current standings. You can look at where you situate yourself in the general scoreboard, in the Gary's League scoreboard. If you've made yourself a different league uh, with your friends and you want to see who is uh, at the top of the charts for that, go to it. You can also check out uh, links to our draft guide and you can sign up for the newsletter every week. I am sending out updates uh, in newsletter form and you can enjoy that. Um, it's been a good time. It's been very fun. We are getting into, I think, the real fun time of the year. Once we hit like Golden Globe nominations, we are going to be off Which to the next races, week? babies. Well, this week as of airing, but you'll, oh, you'll also, hear us talk about it next week. Pertinent to our conversations we've been having in these updates, Chris. I think I'm going to be on the right side of history with Wonka. Of loving it? I My enthusiasm for Wonka appears to be the right course of action i'm hearing (laughs) good things did you draft wonka no but i'm just saying that of the two of us one of us was the wonka skeptic and one of us was the wonka optimist and i feel like i am going to be vindicated when when you talk about selective pop optimism yes Yes. i just want to brandish a wonka sign in your face (laughs) <laughs> well, yes, that is how selective optimism works. Yes, but Sometimes, you complain about other people's selective optimism, poptimi- right? And like your selective optimism right now is is Wonka, better. I agree. And I, am like, I agree. My selective optimism is my selective optimism is better, and theirs is worse. That is, yes, I agree. Yeah, you're right. I I have no optimism to be had about anything. I am a genuine enjoyer of things and a genuine dissenter of things. <laughs> that is. We're not. We don't have time to talk to go into a to a conversation about. I'm pop just music. trying. To, I'm, I'm saying, just trying to grind your gears. Anyway, anyway. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. All right. Um. Anyway, enjoy our conversation about the nest where Carrie Coon grinds her gears on the dance floor to a cover of "Don't Leave Me This Way," and all is right with the world. We'll talk to you next. And week. now I'm the one just walking home. <laughs> Bye. Um, that horse burying scene, I think I read somewhere, I did a bunch of reading up on Sean Durkin, um, that apparently he was like, cause he was, uh, raised in, he was born in Canada, but he moved to, to England, but he's also lived in the United States. He's sort of, um, uh, uh, moved around a lot, but I guess it's, I think it was when he was living in London or in England when he was a kid, came across in a field, like a mound of dirt atop a buried horse or whatever, and was never able to sort of forget that, which I imagine not. Um, Apparently, I read in one article that, like, his real-life mother was uh, trained horses, and his, um, you know, his real-life father, I think, did work in finance or something like that, so there's some degree of autobiography and the setup to this movie. I don't think it was quite so harrowing as it turns out here. Um, but he had like, he had made Martha Marcy May Marlene uh, in 2011 because mostly he was fascinated by things like the Manson family murders and stuff like that, which obviously you can see in that movie. He had worked for a casting director before that he had sort of worked as a producer on a bunch of films. He had gone to NYU film school and had uh, uh, formed this sort of um 
filmmaking partnership with Antonio Campos and Josh Mond, and and sort of they helped each other with their movies. And the one story about him working with the casting director on Casting the Holiday, he talks about um, accompanying Nancy Myers to... I think it's either they go to Eli Wallach's house or they invite Eli Wallach to come to her house. And like, she has him like audition essentially for him, like uh, uh, reading a scene from the holiday, which is kind of amazing. Um, But anyway, so he makes Martha Marcy May Marlene. He wins the directing award at Sundance. It's a movie that doesn't end up getting any Oscar nominations, which is why we had an episode on it. Go back and listen to it. Uh, It's a good one. And, but he sort of emerges as this like very exciting young director. And then in the ensuing nine years, they sort of get swallowed up. He does this TV series uh, in England for Channel 4 called South Cliff with Sean Harris. And that, you know, takes up some of his time. And then he spent a very long time trying to get one of the competing Janis Joplin biopics off the ground. This one Mm -hmm. around 2017, it sort of got announced that it was going to be happening. He was going to be directing Michelle Williams. This is the Janis biopic that did have the rights to her music, which is not the one that Amy Adams was attached to at one point, which was also the one that Renee Zellweger was attached to at one point. This was the one that had through the years been attached to people like Ileana Douglas, or not Ileana Douglas, Lily Taylor. Um, I'm getting my 90s indie queens <laughs> mixed up. <laughs> um, but this Michelle Williams movie was apparently really, you know, uh, uh, you know, got announced in Deadline and all of this, and, and I haven't read anything about how it fell apart and just sort of like uh, like all Janice biopics do. All of a sudden you're just like, oh, I guess that one's You gotta happening. go full fictional Janice, like the Rose, to get it made. There you go. There you go. Um, or Jackie Jormp Jomp for, uh, uh, for 30 <laughs> That was such an interesting inside joke that, you know what I mean? That like of all things, it was like this Janice Joplin biopic that could never get made. Um, so that doesn't happen. And then I guess he pivots to making The Nest, which then uh, uh, gets first seen at Sundance in 2020. So it is kind of a miracle that we're only getting, you know, we only have to wait another three or so years for his next movie for The Iron Claw. Um, I think he's a tremendously exciting filmmaker, but he's also done television. I wanted to talk about um, Dead Ringers, which he directed the first- I still have to finish. The first two episodes and then co-directed the sixth, which is the final episode. Um, and it was also executive producer on it. So he had, he seemingly had a, uh, he wasn't the showrunner, but he, uh, he had a strong hand, I think, in developing that show. The aesthetic of that show feels very, very Sean Durkin. So much of Dead Ringers is ho- horror that isn't horror. He, the second episode of that show, um, is the one where, uh, so, uh, uh, Rachel Weiss plays the twin gynecologists. Uh, it's a remake of, obviously, the Cronenberg um, movie, which was based on a mm-hmm. book, which was based on a real-life pair of twins. Um, but so Rachel Weiss plays the twin gynecologist. One is more altruistic. One is more sort of terrifyingly amoral. And they need they want to start this birthing clinic that's sort of their their dream and so to do that they have to get financing and that sort of leads to these moral compromises that they have to make which ultimately leads them to Jennifer Ely uh who is this like uh the uh, the 
kind of active uh, um, head of this Sackler-esque family that, you know, in the world of the show has started a, the, you know, opioid epidemic. And she is completely, you know, pitiless to that and is... Jennifer Ely is so fucking good on the show. This is maybe my number one reason why I want you to watch this show, Chris. Because I, I, I mean, I loved her in the first episode. Fucking watched, freak out. So. so the second episode, which Durkin also directed, they go to um, Jennifer Ely's home on, I believe it's Long Island, this, this sort of mansion on Long Island. And she meets her whole family slash like series of hangers on. She's got a wife. She's got an ex-wife and uh, a bunch of children. The ex-wife is remarried to this sort of like very milk toast man. She's got this lawyer who is terrifying. She's got these like artist friends. It is absolutely, it's another one where it's just like, it's a haunted house movie that has no actual horror in it, but it is like absolutely Mm -hmm. the most terrifying vision of like amoral wealth that you could imagine. And it's so very Sean Durkin. Karen Kusama also directs an episode later in the season where they go to a different mansion full of, you know, horrible old money that like that, that, uh, that becomes this horror movie. And for those two episodes alone, which can kind of do like watch the whole thing, but like you could also watch those two movies as or those two episodes as kind of standalone short films. And, they would work. The directing is just that strong. I know some people, I've talked to some people who are like, it's too like literally dark. Like you, you can't kind of see anything. <laughs> so I would recommend maybe watching it at night with your blackout curtains drawn, but um, highly, highly recommended. It. It's so I'm watching that and I'm like, Sean Durkin's so fucking back. You know what I mean? Like, this is so <laughs> great to watch something like that because he produced a bunch of things. He produced that Dave Franco movie, the rental that I had watched. He produced, um, he was a producer on the eyes of my mother and Christine and like, so like had been, you know, doing good work. And he was of course a producer before he was a director. So in many ways, that's kind of where it's, 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 you know, it's a part of him, right? This idea that like he wants to do his own projects, but I think he probably gets a lot out of helping other people's projects sort of come to fruition from a producer role, which is kind of cool. So I don't know. I'm monologuing. Save me from myself. <laughs> well, because I haven't seen the show. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this, tw- the 2020 Sundance, because yes. like we mentioned, this was the COVID year. So there's a lot of looking to Sundance as movies that already exist that could still be released. The Nest was among them. I think we'll have a separate IFC conversation. The Nest is also maybe harmed in this race by releasing in September, Mm -hmm. considering that's like six months before the Oscars actually happen. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, it actually is kind of a good Oscar year for Sundance as a... It's a great Sundance in general. Like, I look at this lineup, and for as much as, like, we talk about the memory-holing of of 2020 movies, this lineup has multiple movies that I genuinely loved. And I know there are movies that you loved even more than I did uh, on this list, too. So I imagine you really like this lineup as well. But you get a mix of a lot of movies that would qualify for our show, sure. but also movies that did do well with the Oscars. I mean, The Father famously debuted here. Mm-hmm. Minari, you have Minari which wins both the Audience Award and the Jury Prize, yep. ends up being the only 
real thing that A24 kind of pushes mm-hmm. with first cow kind of in the background. Uh, four, I believe, of the five documentary nominees played here. Which even were... one of them had world premiered previously. Time. Um, was Dick Johnson a nominee or no? It was not. Yeah. Um, collective, that premiered at the previous TIFF, mm-hmm. but played this festival right uh you mentioned time also uh the mole agent and crip camp mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's other docs like boys state that almost were nominated yep 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 and obviously promising young woman too which i think is the movie that if the pandemic hadn't happened because that movie was also supposed to come out in april that probably wouldn't have any oscar nominations to its name in a you know, uh, an alternate history where right. that where the pandemic never happens. But I, I mean, I still really like that movie. I know we are in a very um, culturally in a very anti Emerald Fennell place right now. I think people can calm down. <laughs> I genuinely just because something like the hatred for Saltburn. It's like just because something isn't good doesn't mean you need to go all out like. I can understand like people not liking Saltburn. I liked Saltburn with reservations. I like Saltburn with that. I think I, I've been able to sort of slot Saltburn into an area in my mind where I'm good with it. I think it is a. It's not quite as like slick as Cruel Intentions. There is a sort of you know ephemerality to Cruel Intentions that was like, oh, it's like a, you know, it's WB, you know, teen sex, whatever. But like that's the kind of level that I'm that I'm getting enjoyment out of Saltburn, and I think there is something yeah. that is really making people come at that movie very aggressively. I think part of it genuinely is that people in between Promising Young Woman in this movie found out that Emerald Fennell comes from money and are really really feel like they were taken for a ride somehow. People because had that problem with Promising Young Woman. The people had a lot more problems with Promising Young Woman, while I think. People were mad that the she won the Oscar. The many problems people had effect. with it were more justified, I think, with that movie than this movie. Because, like, this movie, I guess some people... Saltburn, to me, is, like, a movie that is legitimately about nothing. Like, it has... It is not sure. about a damn thing. There is not something that you can take away. Like, its right. intentions are so muddled Right, to me, people are like, like, I can't... Like, that's this, part this, of having fun yeah. with the movie. Yes. Like... What does this say about class conflict? Who gives a fuck? There are better movies that talk about class conflict than Saltburn. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. I mean, I think I think they think that the movie is trying to say something. I think Promising Young Woman is maybe trying to say more than Saltburn is saying. Yes, like, definitely. I don't, I don't know if there's really an attempt to make some observation, like, to the benefit and detriment of the movie. <laughs> but, like, sure. it's not... It's not some abomination. And I agree with the people who feel like it's weak in its last act. Like, the part where he, like, explains the whole thing, it's, like, completely unnecessary and kind of, and, like, really dumb. No, it's a better movie if it's not explained. 100%. Because, like, we already know. But also, <laughs> like, I, 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 I don't, people are really, really angry. And I don't understand it. And I, I feel like people should probably. There's but anyway. not really many villains right now. I'm going to just like tick off. I'm going to tick off a list of the movies from this Sundance lineup that jump out to me. And you can give me like your quick, like, obviously I know you love the 40 year old version. You, you, it was in my top 10. You were a huge evangelizer of that movie. I like that movie. Minari was my number one of that year. I really loved it. Um, Miss Juneteenth, really good movie. Nicole Bahari. Nicole Bahari is great. 
Uh, I was cooler on Never Really, Sometimes Always than most people are, That's but like that was a big um, a critical hit that year. I was disappointed by Nine Days. I really thought I was going to really like it. Um, that's the uh, Edson Oda movie with Winston Kinda Duke cool and Zazie Beats. What's that? Cool movie. Yeah, I it's got I, some stuff going on. I wanted, I wanted more it's, out of it. It's I was imperfect. bored. I think I was bored by it. I loved Palm Springs. I know you didn't really like Palm Springs very much. Hated I Palm loved Springs. Palm Springs. That was so. I think it's such a great uh, uh, mainstream comedy. Um, you liked Shirley quite a bit more than I did. I didn't really know what Shirley. to do with Shirley. Josephine Jackson loved Shirley. Shirley. Yeah, that was not for me. I think you also liked Zola a lot better. Not a lot better. You loved Zola. I liked Zola. I think I like I liked Zola a lot. I thought I loved Taylor Page in Zola. Sure, I loved Riley Keough in Zola. I thought yeah. Riley Keough was incredible. I think that's a better directed movie than written. Yeah, that's but. probably true. I loved Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Did you ever see that movie? I did not, but I, it's something I want to catch. The up sort to. of faux documentary that was. Um, uh, presented as a documentary but it was also like performed it's right i loved it i also loved boy state boy state is i think a tremendous movie yeah you didn't really love boy state i loved it i think it's kind of self-fulfilling in terms of what it's trying to do without really bringing much new and interesting self-fulfilling it's fine it's fine it's just like the thesis statement of the movie it's just like they show up with a camera and they're like this is our thesis it's like well you're gonna you're going to fulfill that thesis. Like, I don't know. Okay. Uh, All right. Uh, Dick Johnson is Dead gave me such anxiety. Um, uh, one of the best movies of that year. Incredible. Yeah. I couldn't get with it then because of reasons, but maybe I'll like it better now. Time, Garrett Bradley's Time, I thought was really great. Incredible. Um, uh, bu- 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 Dream Horse played at that, that, that tiff. It Almost, did, and it didn't come out for another that. year, though. Dream Horse. So this... Sundance had the last movie I saw in theaters before the pandemic, which was Palm Springs, and the first movie I saw in theaters after the pandemic, which was Dream Horse. That's amazing. <laughs> the Father, I I so liked that movie so much better than I thought I was going to. I really was not expecting to like The Father, and I really liked it. I have issues with that movie, but it's it's good. Oh God, Four Good Days, the best original song nominee uh, for the Diane Warren Again, song. delayed, but for different reasons. Yeah. <laughs> Not because of the pandemic. Right. Did you see the uh, Alison Brie Horse Girl movie? No. That played at that Sundance. You really like Kajillionaire. One of these days I will probably watch Kajillionaire. No, I'm fine with Kajillionaire. Okay. I think you will like Kajillionaire. Oh, that's interesting. Well, that's an interesting little quirk. You don't. I've said that to you before. No, I know. I'm like well, that movie's okay, but I think you would really like. I it. don't think I realized that you only thought it was okay. That's an interesting recommendation, which is saying I don't really love this movie. You would probably really love this movie, and I'm really now curious to see what that says about how you feel about me. But um, I do think you would like that movie. I've never seen D. Reese's The Last Thing He Wanted. That's Which, a movie that we should talk do. about a memory hole movie that like even at the time people were like, nope, we will not be discussing Anne Hathaway and Ben Affleck in the last supposed to be a disaster. Yes. Um, yes. I I mean, I've been like, well, we should do that as an episode just so that I can see have an excuse to watch it. Yeah. Um, we eagerly await D. Reese's next movie, though. Yes, we do. Did you see uh, Liz Garbus's Lost Girls with uh, Amy no. Ryan? Amy Ryan's good in that. I really liked it. Um, Promising Young Woman, which we mentioned. Um, did you see Paul Bettany and Uncle Frank, the uh, 
horrid. Is it bad? I've never seen it. It's horrid. The Alan Ball movie? Yeah. Yes. Oh, God. Uh, you have, I know you don't like Wendy, Ben Zeitlin's Wendy, which I can't bring myself yeah, to watch. Yeah, like, you know, the pandemic was a curse to all of us, but a blessing to that movie. I really liked Sarah Colangelo's Worth. I thought Stanley Tucci's really good in that movie, and Michael I never Keaton caught as well. up to that. I liked that it That was lot. one of those things that, like... Nobody bought it, and then Netflix eventually bought it. And right. at this point, I can't even remember if it was late pandemic or not. But they didn't really do anything right. for it. Oh God, this was that uh, the that movie Cuties played at the Sundance. Remember the horrible? Yes, uh, it's supposed to be a good movie, but like all the fucking QAnon psychos. Yep. Oh my God, Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor, one of my favorite movies of that year. That movie has problems. I but. think if I redid my top ten that year, Possessor should should be on it. That I I that's one movie where I definitely has stayed in my memory. All this I think time. especially after seeing Infinity Pool, I'm less inclined to be generous towards Possessor as I might have been at the time. But that movie has problems. Uh, but Andrea Risebro rules in it. Christopher Abbott rules in that movie too. Like I love the both of them. I know you're less of a Christopher Abbott person than I am, but I I like Christopher cool. Abbott, but I I do also feel like at this point it's a shtick. Um <sighs> I don't know. I think you're wrong about that. I'm right. Uh, Julie that's, my th- that's my theory the that I'm right. What's that? Did you ever watch The Glorias? Oh god, I did in fact watch The Glorias. Not a good movie. Not a good movie, oh, but Julie uh, we appreciate the swing. Yeah. Did you ever see um uh sorry, who oh, I just had it and lost it. Um I'm literally looking at the list right now. Oh, The Killing of Two Lovers. I never saw that, but that was supposed to be good. Uh Yeah? Uh Okay. <laughs> um Sorry. Uh, His House, which is a movie I keep meaning Good to movie. go and watch. That was the horror movie. Good horror movie. That was on Netflix. Um, Relic, which I was kind of oversold on, the um, uh, the Natalie Erica James movie with uh, Relic, Emily which Mortimer. did weirdly well this year. It did well with, I believe, the Bifas. We'll talk yeah. about the Bifas. It got a National Board of Review mention. Yeah. Not my fave. Uh, the Rebecca Hall movie, The Night House, played at this Sundance at, mm-hmm. at midnight. I that, really ended up liking that, that a lot. Searchlight held until post. Yeah. Um, or at least the reopening. Kitty Green's The Assistant, which had opened very Pretty limitedly weird. just before the pandemic hit. Um, I really liked that a lot. And, of course, The Climb, which is the Miley Cyrus biopic, The Climb. I um, that movie. I didn't. I did not see it. I was just making a joke, um, as I tend to do. Okay, yeah. Um, to be clear, I hated the climb, not the Miley Cyrus. Movie. No, I'm. It, well, there is no Miley Cyrus movie. There's just this Miley Cyrus song. Yeah, but the the Hannah Montana movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you hated the Hannah Montana movie, or you no, hated the bicyclist movie? I hated the bicycle movie. Okay, okay, it's not really a bicycle movie. It's a bro movie. Okay, who bros who bike? They bike at the beginning of the movie. Okay, um, it's insufferable. Great Sundance lineup, I'm going to say it. Of all the terrible things about 2020, I think that's a great Sundance lineup, all told. Would have loved to have yeah. gone there and caught COVID from everybody who was... You remember <laughs> in, like, COVID. March when, like, things were just shutting down and people were like, oh, I think I got COVID at Sundance. Uh-huh. And it's like, no shit, fuckers. <laughs> like, dark days. Dark, dark days, days, indeed. All right. Um... Can we talk Let's about- talk a little bit about the where the nest did show up yes. throughout the season. It got yeah. 
both uh, two good Gotham nominations for the leading performances. Good for the Gotham. Uh, they both lost, however, and lost to Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal and Nicole Bahari for Miss Juneteenth. What are the other nominees? Uh, in lead actor, it's Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey. John Magaro for First Cow, Hell Yeah, Jesse Plemons, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and the other actress nominees are Jesse Buckley, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, Francis McDormand in Nomadland, and Yunya Jun for Minari. The more time I spend away from my thinking of I'm thinking of any I'm thinking of ending things, the more I'm I'm puzzled by my own reaction to it. Like I did not care for that movie. And that's not a movie you really want to watch during COVID. <laughs> but like, or kind of ever. Like, every once in a while, I, re- I remember that, like, for as much as I've loved so many Charlie Kaufman things, sometimes I'll watch a Charlie Kaufman thing and I'm just like, absolutely not. And even something like Synecdoche, New York, like the first time I watched Synecdoche, New York, I was in an angry funk for like a week. I was so mad that I watched that movie and it made me feel as like, like genuinely depressed. It really, really put me in like a dark emotional space for like a good (laughs) solid week. It made me feel really, really bad about myself. And, and I'm thinking of ending things. Feels like, and I, so I chalk up Synecdoche to like, that's a very personal, you know, project and like, you know, it's full of genuine feeling and emotion and good for that and all that. And then I watch, I'm thinking of ending things and I'm like, no, sometimes Charlie Kaufman just wants to make you feel so bad. And I do feel like sometimes that's the intended result. I mean, I think the difference between those two movies, though those are pretty feel bad movies, Synecdoche is a movie about us and I'm thinking of ending things as a them movie. It's about them. It's about yeah. these like yeah. toxic masculinity living in their parents' basement dudes who just like Okay, want I remember that that was everything onto women. I think that is a perspective that I don't necessarily share about that movie. That it's about toxic masculinity, but I remember that was your like initial reaction, and I'm kind of like fascinated by that take on it because I don't know, which is partly why I'm like eh, about that movie because it's just like we're fucking tired of talking about this by now. Like, yeah, I don't know if that's what it's I mean. About, I respect though. I respect that movie more than I like it. Yeah, um, I do. You know, I have problems with Jesse Buckley too, but whatever. Um. I suppose I'll get over them. NB- NBR Top 10 Independent Films. This is a very interesting list full of movies that I don't know if I remember all of these movies. Driveways was the... Um, uh, what's his name who directed Palm Springs? Not Palm Springs, uh, Fire Island. Andrew Ahn, which I still haven't seen, but I would like to because I liked Fire Didn't Island. Love it. Yeah? I understand why people love it. I did not. Interesting. Um, Farewell Amour. Don't know it. I still want to catch up to that. That was a Sundance movie, but I don't think the Sun... No, it is the Sundance we're talking about. Yeah. Also an IFC release. What's it about? Uh, I believe it's an immigration story. It's currently in the Criterion Collection. Okay. All right. Miss Juneteenth, we discussed. Good movie. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. We discussed Relic. Uh, We discussed Not My Favorite. St. Francis, I really liked a lot. St. Francis is a good movie. That's a good People movie. People should catch up to St. Francis. Highly recommended. Not to be confused with what was the horror movie around that same time? St. Maud? Maud. St. Maud. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't don't go trying to see St. Francis and see St. Maud instead. Like be very very St. Francis is a is a um 
indie drama about a young woman sort of finding her place. And uh, St. Maud is, well, in many ways, an indie drama about a young woman finding her place, but it's a very different place. <laughs> finding her place within herself. Yes. And, uh, 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 I should rewatch St. Maud because I was like ho-hum about it when I saw it. Oh, interesting. And then when it came out, everyone loved it. Talk so. about a great Jennifer Ely performance. Yowza, I mean, yowza. Um, That's literally any Jennifer Ely performance, Joe. Okay, fine. Um, We mentioned The Climb. I made my joke. You didn't get it. It was fine. Um, I got your joke. Yeah, you didn't laugh at it, which is fair enough. Um, The Outpost. What's The Outpost? Uh, It looks like some type of dude movie. I even don't know what this is. And then Wolfwalkers, which was the vessel through which everybody who was sick of Pixar decided to funnel all of their... um, Soul isn't very good. Wolfwalkers is a good movie. Wolfwalkers is a good movie, but people, I think, were a little like Wolfwalkers is so good and Soul is so bad, and it's just like Soul. A uh, Soul's not a good. Movie. I think people I mean, postured. Soul's fine. Soul's a good Soul's movie. Fine. Soul's a very good movie. Soul was another movie that I watched in a very Soul specific isn't Elemental, psychological which Elemental is terrible. Yeah, I still um, haven't seen Elemental. Um, Wolfwalkers is good. That's good, but like I have not thought about Wolfwalkers once since uh, I saw that movie. Um, the Beef has really liked this movie, and good because this is uh, this is British, British independent c- cinema at its finest. Yeah, I almost wonder if that's why the movie didn't get any indie spirit nominations because it was deemed a British production. Maybe it's possible. It's possible. Six Beef nominations though didn't win any, unfortunately. I mean, but it's good that Durkin is getting a Best Director citation somewhere, because, like, he deserves it. Right. And, like, cinematography for this movie, of course. Um, what were the big BIFA winners that year? Let me click on in. Um, I'm trying to think of what would have been the big... Like, The Father, I guess, maybe? Let's see. That would make sense, yeah. Uh, oh, interesting that um, Jude Law loses out to... Adil Akhtar for um, his co-star, his co-star from The Nest, right? Who he berates on the uh, on the sidewalk um, for the movie Ali and Ava. Uh, oh, I haven't caught up to that. That's yeah. supposed to be good, and uh, his co-star is, I believe, it's. Um, I think she's the daughter in Secrets and Lies. The other daughter. In oh, Secrets and Lies. oh, very interesting. That's interesting. This cool. is the episode about uh, movies that I want to catch up to from COVID. Yes, exactly. Um, Carrie Coon, in turn, loses her award to Joanna Scanlon for a movie called After Love, which I also haven't seen. Future BAFTA winner Joanna Scanlon for After Love. It's interesting that that year's BIFAs also nominated Katrina Balfe for Belfast a full year ahead of or as was, a lead which she is or no movie. oh wait the the nest sorry the nest competed the year after oh got it that's what it was so the nest was competing with the 2021 movies that's that's why it's also competing with the two veneer the two veneer exactly um great movie after love also is the movie that wins best british independent film uh cinematography loses to boiling point uh, which is not a movie I have seen. This is the movie that when Joanna Scanlon won the BAFTA, people who weren't paying enough attention were like, what? And we're like, yeah, we knew this was going to happen. Did we? I mean, I was not plugged yes. in. All right. Um. Well, anyway, good for the Nest for getting all those nominations. 
I think the big thing in terms of why the nest had less of a shot mm-hmm. and like this is not to be shitty or mean uh-oh but it's that it was distributed by ifc ifc okay. is not roll up your good. sleeves both barrels give it to ifc the last unless i have mi- somewhere missed a international feature or documentary because ifc releases a lot of movies the last Oscar nomination that they received was for Charlotte Rampling in 45 years. That's almost a decade. Yeah. This is not really the place to take a movie if you want it to get awards, which is why I was so bummed when they got Wildlife, because yeah. Carrie Mulligan's performance in that, I think we both agree, is really great. We both really like that movie. And and that's another movie where it's like, oh, there was just nothing for that movie. Like there, it just was right. not a presence in award season. Do they just not campaign? Is that the deal, or do they campaign poorly? I mean, I think I think it. it IFC han- used to handle a ton of movies. They've had a lot of issues this year, and it looked like they were going to go under. As of now, they are distributing. Uh, the taste of things this year, which I think is probably the front runner to win international feature, just on like the movie and its taste. Uh, in, you know, <laughs> taste. This movie's gonna play well for everybody. Uh, I. It, but it's if they lose, if that movie loses, mm-hmm. it's because it's IFC. Like I, I hate to shit on them. They do. They put out stuff that like I'm glad they've taken a gamble on. Uh. There seems to be a lot of issues going on over there, but like it's they're just not great at pushing things for awards. I'm trying to go through their filmography and see what other movies they also had. Uh, Marion Cotillard getting nominated for Two Days One Night. They had Boyhood. I've previously said if Boyhood was anywhere else, it would have more Oscars. Did they do the American distribution for Bergman Island? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Masterpiece Bergman Island, one of my favorite movies. And again, didn't show up of, at all. Like, the past decade, one of my favorites. And didn't show up at all in award season that year. That's no. another one where, like, and it was well-reviewed. You might be onto something here. MLK I mean, Taste FBI. of Things is going to be their biggest award success since Boyhood. MLK FBI, which was so, like, well-regarded and Great. then completely fell flat when it came to the Oscars. All right. You're making your case for me, I'm saying. Sorry, I'm just going you back. Know, we we wish the good people at IFC well, but it's I wish anybody who's promoting independent films well. I want I want these mm-hmm. movies to be seen and appreciated and it feels like we are in <laughs> trying times for getting anybody to watch any kind of movies, uh, especially in theaters and it's too bad cuz there's a lot of really good ones out there. So, I'll ask. I think the the qualifier that they're doing for Taste of Things is smart, you know, the the movie is actually going to get out there when it's getting the most press attention Mm -hmm. likely for you know major award wins and then they're putting it out uh and apparently they're going to do a wide release on valentine's day which i actually think is a good call yeah i think that is a good call very good um what other stray notions should we have we should mention i mean we talked about how great carrie coon is in this movie her career at this point, I want to talk about because, like, she's in. First thing that I had ever seen her in was when she was in, um, uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway opposite 
Tracy Letts. Her Tony nomination. Yes, her Tony nomination. And I sort of famously, infamously, whatever, let's say infamously, sort of walked away from that and being like, oh, you know, her. Part of that is, I don't, I love Who's Afraid of of Virginia Woolf. I don't love that character. And, um, And so I walk away from that and I'm like, oh my God, Tracy Letts. Oh my God, Amy Morton. And, um, and then I'm like, oh yeah, you know, Carrie Coon, this woman named Carrie Coon played, uh, uh, Honey. Is that the girl's, is that mm-hmm. the lady's name? Yeah. Um, and, but then, of course, she's in The Leftovers, which blows my mind. So good. I mean, you talk about like Carrie Coon not being nominated for things she should be nominated for. Like, The Leftovers didn't get Emmy attention in any way, which is, you know, one of the really two bad things one of the great TV shows of this century. And uh, she's the, like, she's the best performer in that show. And it's really a bummer that she never got any nominations for it. But it also, like, I think really upped her profile, right? Like, Mm -hmm. she all of a sudden becomes somebody that everybody knows she's in Gone Girl. I maybe nominate her for Supporting Actress in Gone Girl. She's tremendous in Gone Girl. I think there was the whole, like, do you nominate her? Do you nominate Kim Dickens? And they're both really good. And both at that time mostly known for television. Mm -hmm. Um, But man, was... uh, We probably should have rallied around Kim Dickens just because, like, she's had such a long career. Yes, it's Worked with everybody. Like... And she's great in that movie. Like, that whole cast is really tremendous. Yeah. Tyler Perry's amazing in that movie. Everyone is amazing in that movie. I love Carrie Coon in The Post. I love everybody in The Post. But, like, it's not like she has this, like, big dramatic scene or whatever. But, like, I love her as just sort of this, like, one of the gang, you know, kind of, like, you know, working diligently on this story. Also an immaculate cast. It's a, it's, it's a very Including much... Including Widows. She is also in Widows. Oh, my God. She's in a tremendous scene in Widows. Um... I remember in the early going, looking at that cast and thinking that she was going to be a ma- major part of that and being like even more excited for that movie. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you see Boston Strangler? It's supposed to be really No, it, uh, nobody's really given me a reason to watch it, but maybe I will. I will say this, though, listeners. Look forward to 2024, because Carrie Coon is in... Uh, Az- How is his pronounce- name pronounced? It's not Azazel, Azazel, as I thought it was. Azazel, Azazel. Jacobs's movie, His Three Daughters, where Carrie Coon and Elizabeth Olsen and Natasha Lyonne play sisters. You will, like I do, uh, have a hell of a time trying to decide who's your favorite performance of those three, because all three mm-hmm. of them are absolutely fucking Out amazing. of this world. One of my favorite... It'll it's already on one of my favorite movies of 2024, no matter or what else comes yeah out yeah year. a bummer that it's netflix that has it yeah but uh because it like, is a bummer a movie that, that scale they're yeah. just gonna they're just gonna cu- probably let it die it's just gonna um, disappear it sucks yeah that's right we'll but get loud about it we will get very loud about it trust yeah it's so good and she's so good she's kind of terrifying in it but also like you know, uh, brings the humanity to it. She's got another Ghostbusters movie coming out. No, no, we're not talking about it. (laughs) Okay, here's what I will also say. Delete it, delete it from the air. (laughs) I finally started the second season of The Gilded Age this weekend. And that is, I mean, you talk about Saltburn being a movie about nothing. The Gilded Age is truly, blessedly about not a goddamn thing, while also being about, like, 20 different things, but, like, kind of not really about anything. And it is so much fun to watch. It is pure pleasure. It is just watching wonderful actors just, you know, uh, uh, get this very kind of, like, 
arch, you know, uh, dialogue. This very sort of like Downton Abbey-esque dialogue, but in this American idiom. And Carrie Coon is just this like wonderful social climber. Carrie Coon has these great scenes opposite Donna Murphy, who is absolute perfection. Um, there's about 33% too many characters in that show. They should probably <laughs> cut it down by quite a bit. We really don't need to know about most of these uh, 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 people who work in 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 the below quarters and service and whatever, sorry to say, but like, there's just too many characters. But it is absolute pure pleasure. I don't like to use the smooth brain thing too often because I think it does get overused, but like, truly, I... Do not have to tax myself one bit watching The Gilded Age. I love it so much. Um, it's a good comparison, though, because Saltburn is also a smooth brain. Yeah. Um, the one, the my hope for the future with Carrie Coon, because she is also a theater actress as well. Yes. She's still doing stuff with Steppenwolf. Yeah. She was doing, <laughs> she was doing Tracy Letts's bug yeah. at Steppenwolf as the pandemic was happening. Can you imagine like <laughs> being in that show and hearing reports that like, if you are too close to, can people, you imagine being in that audience? Because those audiences, like, oh. I, I always feels like those, those uh, productions are set in like the smallest little black box theater anywhere to make you feel like much more. I cannot like, imagine a more stressful production to be in yep. as an actor, as you're hearing like, Oh, you can't kiss people. <laughs> like, for her role, for her performance in Bug, um, Carrie Coon what, won what is known as the Jeff Award. A Jeff Award? Yeah. I never knew Our, that that was a thing. What a fun name. I know it's short like for Chicago Theater. Yeah, 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 Joseph, yeah, yeah. the Joseph Jefferson Award. But yes, uh, I, imagine winning a Jeff Award. I would love that. I bring this all up because, and I do believe I sent this to you, I, I think all of, like the blood left my body and then immediately came back like with like a million more electrons and like my blood felt electrified. Uh-huh. They did an industry reading of August Osage County. Oh right. Who was that it? That was it? apparently private. If they are going to be reviving it and she is in the Amy Morton role. Yeah. My God, I will lose my mind. Also this cast that was at this reading, who knows what's gonna come of this. Yeah. But and Dowd, Deirdre O'Connell. Mm-hmm. So Deirdre O'Connell was definitely the mother role. Oh my God. Betty Gilpin. Who was the Ju- the Julianne Nicholson role or the Juliette Lewis role? I I don't think roles were specified, but like you can deduce who like Carrie Coon and Deirdre O'Donnell and Ann Dowd were playing. Yes, right. Josh Lucas, <laughs> Morgan Spector. If anything comes up, th- Will Brill. Morgan Spector and Carrie Coon together again after the, uh, 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 they're married on the Gilded Age. I mean, this, if this happens, I will. What did I just see Will Brill in? Oh, Will Brill was just, uh, or he is currently, he's Roy Cohn in uh, uh, Fellow Travelers and is quite good. The show kind did of you abandons. Like I liked it enough. I wanted it to be better. I I think it does some interesting things that deserve to get talked about and not just the sex scenes, but also like the sex scenes are like quietly revolutionary because they're so fucking hot and like, and, and unapologetic and fantastic. Um, I think it does some interesting things in the way it talks about um, community. It also does a episode set on fire Island that like completely dodges cliche in a way that I didn't think was possible. 
Um, Interesting. But in general, I wanted... I think it tries to take on too much. I would have loved a show that was a queer version of the Americans during the the Lavender Scare. I think that would have been a really strong show. And it sort of spreads itself over multiple decades instead in a way that, like, I understand why. But also, I feel like it's maybe a stronger show if it's a little bit more concentrated. But um, I recommend it to people. I would say watch it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's showtime. Everybody who has positive things to say about it also says I was disappointed. So I don't know if it's worth my time or not. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. I don't, it's not like I recommend it without reservations, but I also feel like it would be, it would be a disservice to completely dismiss it. I think sometimes people get too into, you know, good or shit kind of a thing. And I think it's in the middle. I think that's a show that exists in the middle. And there are things Mm. that it does well that I think it should be uh, rewarded for. Also, like, Jonathan Bailey. What a doll. What an absolute (laughs) doll. He's the one that was in Spoiler Alert, right? Was he? I never saw Spoiler Alert. Jonathan Bailey is the one who was in Crashing, the Phoebe Waller-Bridge TV show that she did before Fleabag. Yeah. Um, And he was also in uh, Bridgerton. Which was, he's playing a very boring character in Bridgerton, I think. Um, He was also a very animated guest judge on Drag Race that one time, which was uh, (laughs) lovely to see. Um, I didn't see Spoiler Alert. He maybe was. Wasn't Spoiler Alert, though, the guy who was in... um, I'm looking it up now. uh, The M. Night Shyamalan movie? No, Spoiler Alert is Ben Aldridge. Yes, he is in the M. Night. Ben Aldridge is good in that movie. That is a movie that I think would be ten times better if it was not Jim Parsons in that role. Oh, and Spoiler Alert. Interesting. Um, The M. Night Shyamalan movie is a movie that I keep going over. It's funny to think of like that was this year. Um, I ain't watching that. I'm good, love. Why? Why? No, I want to go into it. I want to go into it. Why? It just seems miserable. I also don't want to know what M. Night Shyamalan thinks gay people are like. I don't know. I don't need it. I don't Here's what I will say. A knock at the cabin. I keep forgetting the title of the movie. M. Night Shyamalan doesn't have, like, bad opinions about gay people. I think... Oh, no, that's not what I think. I just think it would be very, like, love wins. Uh, uh, like, it's not that either. Um, it's, it's harrowing in a way that my fear going into it was kind of founded, which was, I don't know if M. Night Shyamalan fully grasps what a powerful and sort of traumatizing image it is to see a gay couple, uh, targeted for violence in this yeah. current climate and the movie's is also the, thing. the movie's more than that it's also a little stupider than that um what an m night Shyamalan <laughs> movie is stupid but like I, that's never a criticism oh i just bit my tongue ah oh and now i'm going to be talking like julianne moore in may december for the rest of the episode <laughs> um oh man it's you know when you bite the side of your tongue and it's just like that's the, that's yeah yeah of uh, course anyway um <laughs> this movie was a very much a disappointment for me um the assignment with peace what is peace 
<laughs> anyway, a knock at the cabin. I'm honestly, I'll probably watch it again to refresh my memory. Um, but um, yeah, I don't think you should avoid it. I don't think it's something to be avoided. Unless, honestly, here's what I will say. My friend uh, and our former guest, actually, uh, Adam Berry, um, any of my friends who are gay with kids, I say, approach, you You might be, you might get a pass to avoid that movie because like, it is very traumatic to watch a gay couple with a kid get, you know, targeted for murder. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. Anyway. Um, anyway, should we move on to the IMDb game? Yeah, we should. Let's do it. Would you like to explain the IMDb game to our lovely listeners? No. What if I refused? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at this point, maybe you... Listeners, maybe. you should know. No. Anyway, every week... All those people that we've gathered for this episode that have never listened to us that are listening to us because we're talking about the nest yes all these new listeners that don't understand how we play listen it. maybe carrie coon has decided for the first time to listen to us and we we honor it, her for that i i don't want to know about it <laughs> i'm so i get so anxious about this. have you been as thirsty for her husband as you've been for uh zoe kazan's husband on this, ep- on listen, this podcast tracy Letts is a handsome man we we can't get into but it. only in uh deep waters um that man is going crazy in that movie uh, every week we end our episodes with the imdb game where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress and try and guess the top four titles that imdb says they are most known for if any of those titles are television voice only performance or non-acting credits we mention that up front after two wrong guesses we get the remaining titles release years as a clue and if that's not enough it just becomes a free for all of hints chris i just realized that both Tracy Letts and Carrie Coon are in the post. I want to tally up whether Carrie and Tracy are in as many movies together as Elizabeth Marvel and Bill Camp are in together. Like, I want to. I'm willing to bet the answer is no, because neither of them are in as many movies as those two are. That's true, but it's a thing I want to track scientifically now. I they wanna... should be in more movies. What if? Together. Let's be real. Wait, what if that's Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf and it's like age free casting and it's just those four? Oh my god. But but this would mean that you are casting Tracy Letts as a hottie, which is correct. No, Tracy Letts as Martha, Carrie Coon as George Siegel, Elizabeth Marvel as George, and Bill Camp as Honey. Oh, you're like doing a full switch it up. You're just like you're throwing those I dice am. in a boggle board and shaking. One it up million and percent I am. Lands. Got it. What's the George Siegel's character name? Nick. Nick. Yes. Nick. Carrie Coon is Nick. Um, sure. Shake it all up. Shake the dice and and what was the thing that RuPaul used to say about Santino Rice? Shake the dice and throw the rice. Santino Rice is here. Something. Yeah. All right. Now that Edward Albee is dead, I mean, and he doesn't require casting approval on all productions, maybe you could get away. Chris, with can that. we have one conversation where you don't mention the fact that Edward Albee is dead? I feel like every time <laughs> we talk, it's now that Edward Albee is dead, we can go to the Piggly Wiggly or whatever. Like. Now that Edward Albee is dead, we can all know peace. <laughs> all right. Uh, Not a nice man. The IMTV game. Joe, yes. uh, did you explain it yet? Yes, Have we gone that yes, far? I did. Okay. Um, would you like to give or guess first? I'll give first. Okay. So um, I mentioned briefly uh, that movie, The Rental, that Sean Durkin produced, the Dave Franco-directed horror movie, The Rental. Did you ever see that movie? I did not. It's not bad. Um, Alison Brie's in it. It's Alison Brie, Dan Stevens, Jeremy Allen White, and... A fourth 
person who I can't remember, but I don't think is anybody whose name I knew before I saw that movie. Um, but I should mention it anyway. Anyway, um, her name is Sheila Vand. Cool. She's very good. Anyway, good movie. Dave Franco does not act in it, but he does direct in it. And we've never done Dave Franco for an IMDb game. And you know, I love Dave Franco often. So what are the known for? There are no television, no voice-only performances. I mean, they all have to be, like, among those movies where they're all in them. Like, that whole crew of people. Um, The Disaster Artist. Correct. Um, They're all going to be, like, Disaster Artist movies. Uh... What are the names of those movies? He's not in Superbad. Is he in Superbad? But, like, there's got to be another Apatow in there. I just can't pinpoint the Apatows he's in. Um, I guess I'll say Superbad. He's in Superbad. He plays somebody called Greg the Soccer Player in Superbad, but that's not what <laughs> yeah. uh, um, So, one strike. Uh... What was he in that's not like that? Like, he was in some type of, like, franchise thing. Doesn't he play, like, you think that he's going to be an asshole because he's, like, the new boyfriend of, like, the lead's, like, ex-girlfriend, but he actually is, like, a nice guy? I'm not thinking of Raul Castillo and Cha-Cha Real Smooth. (laughs) I am the first person to mention or think of Cha-Cha Real Smooth in two years. Um, I like that movie. Uh, Talk about a movie people were too mean to for no reason. Uh, because okay. they think the guy looks like a, he like he would be an annoying person in real life. Literally, just because of what he looks like, it's genuinely like kind of shocking. Just it's like, also his like age a... and the amount of success that he has that his age yeah. people resent it. Yes. Um, okay, Dave Franco is also in. Uh he's in like a best picture nominee it's gotta be maybe i don't know dave franco that well like the night before um it wouldn't surprise me if he was in the night before but it's not on his known for so that's two strikes so your years are I'll take it Just 2012 2014 2016 okay 12, 14, and 16. So two of these are comedies. One of them is a uh, drama, sort of uh, high energy, sort of. I will say I like all three of these movies. So one of them, Pineapple Express. No, not Pineapple Express. That's another movie I wouldn't be surprised if he was in. Let's see. Um, He's weirdly not in Pineapple Express. Weird. Um, um, okay, so he's uh, he's the lead in one of them. He is um, supporting in one of them. I will say, the thing where you were saying, is he the new boyfriend of somebody who you think is going to be a douchebag, but then ends up being cool? You're not entirely off on one of those. That's, 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 it's not that he's the new boyfriend of someone's ex, but it's somebody who um, 
there's a potential love interest and he feels like he's going to be the rival and you think he's going to be like a real jerk, but then he's not. Um, and that's sort of part of the like conceit of the, of the movie, which is, um, oh, we think like it's going to be these sort of like old school, rigid social politics of this group of young people. And it actually is not that at all. Like that's one of the sort of jokes. Is this like Project X? I'm thinking of like social politics and young people. No, far more, far more mainstream, big hit, had a sequel that I didn't like. Um, it's not like you, me, and Dupree. That is older than that. Um, no, no. Um, two leads. The lead, the poster is the two leads in white suits standing back to back to each other. Um, Chuck and Larry. No, back to back to each other and holding guns. Oh, um, like what? Twenty one Jump Street. Twenty one no. Jump Street. Yes. Oh, that's exactly. Okay. It is yeah, twenty two yeah. Jump Street. On well, that's the one I don't like. No, 21 Jump Street is the one Dave Franco is in. I think he also probably shows up in 22, um, but I don't think as much. Okay. The other big broad comedy also had a sequel that I liked not as well as the original, but certainly better than 22 Jump Street. Um, um, but the first one I really, really liked. It's a really good mainstream comedy. Like um role models? No. But... No, it doesn't star either. This is the end? No. One of the two stars of this movie... Well, it's more than two stars, but there are two on the poster. Wow, justice for the person who should also be on the poster. But anyway, is in uh, a Sean Durkin movie. Oh, okay. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen? No. Sarah Paulson? No, two men on this poster. Oh, okay. Even though it should be... No. Zac Efron? Yes. Baywatch. No. No, I don't love Baywatch. How well, dare I'm, I'm you? I'm just trying to think of comedies that are exa- <laughs> Oh, um uh Neighbors. Duh. Neighbors. 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 Yeah, Dave Franco. For Rose, Byrne. Rose Byrne is the Thank you. highlight of that movie. Rose Byrne's so good. Everybody is Seth Rogen, Rose Byrne, Zach Afron, uh all really good. Carla Gallo, sure, throw uh, you know, put her on the poster. <laughs> okay, so um, the next one's a drama. Yeah, but like a fun drama. It's not like a serious, like, it's very kind of unserious, but I think it's a lot of fun. Is it like an ensemble drama? No. Uh It's like a, it's sort of like soft action. Interesting. Soft action. So is it like a spy movie? No. It's like, um, almost like a quest the quest makes it sound medieval. It's very much considered about kids or teens. They're sort of like in their early twenties. It's not quite teens, but like, you know, young people, maybe they're teens friends reunited. No, to... one of them is a teen. And I think he's a little bit older. So that a road trip movie. No, but they sort of traverse the city. Got it. Looking for stuff. It's very, um, you know, uh, cutting edge of what kids or what technology is uh, is allowing kids to do. You know, oh, kind like of Pokemon thing. Go. A little bit. There's a little bit of that aspect to it. Yeah, there's an app though, or something. There's an app. Yes, I have no idea what this is. Um, I don't think you've seen this. Um, which is too bad because I had a good old time with this movie. Um, 
it's him. The poster is him and his female co-star where it's sort of like their faces are. Uh, oh, this is him and uh, Emma Roberts. It's like yes. Nerve or something. Nerve. Yes. Yeah, I did not see this. I, I remember really gay people online being like, we're seeing Nerve. And I'm well, like, he's super hot in kids. it. It's the other thing. Like, Dave Franco is super hot in Nerve. But also, like, it's a fun time. I had a very good time. That's a movie. That was one of those, like, I worked just north of Times Square and I rolled out of work at, on a Friday in an early evening, and I'm like, I'm seeing a movie. I don't care. And so I just walked down to the Regal, and Nerve was playing, and I was like, yes, I'm going to go see Nerve. It's 96 minutes of fun. Um, <laughs> uh, highly recommended. All right. All right. For you, since I just did absolutely horrible with Dave Franco, <laughs> I am not going easy on you. And I, uh, aforementioned uh, star of Gone Girl, Kim Dickens. Oh, the great television. Kim Dickens. Any television? Yes, there's one television. Okay. Is it Deadwood? It's Deadwood. Okay, good. Um, I was like, it's either that or Fear the Walking Dead. Okay, is Gone Girl one of them? Gone Girl is one of them. Okay. Um. Now, what other things has Kim Dickens been in? Do they count the Deadwood movie as a movie? No. It's not okay. on her known for. Okay. Um, is that a was that a guess or no? No, I feel like that's an administrative. Yeah, I, I didn't. I wasn't going to count yeah. that as a guess, but I just wanted to be clear. Um, Kim Dickens. Oh golly, this is going to be tough. I mostly think of television shows. When I think of what she's been in, um, uh, shoot. I will say these are absolutely movies you have seen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, maybe I should count that Deadwood one as a as a wrong answer so I can get closer to my ears. <laughs> um, um, Kim Dickens. Oh, I just want to ask like questions and and we're we're too we're not that far into it yet. Um Is she in another Fincher? Is she in I wish, uh, but no. She should be. Caster and the killer, David. Um Why am I totally blanking on any other movie that she's been in? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like, she's on Lost. Um you can take the forfeit, and I can give you the years. Yeah, I'll take the forfeit and give me the years. Okay, your years are 2000 and 2005. 2000? 2000. 2000 is directed by someone who, uh, in the past decade or so, we've given a major reassessment to. Oh. So somebody who was directing things that were a little bit more like junky populist and were like, no, those are really good. Or is it like a Tony Scott? And it's not like a Tony Scott situation, but it's someone who has directed movies that have been poorly received. And now we have reassessed a lot of those movies. This movie, however, I would say does not have defenders. This is this is one of the one that it's like, yes, it's that director doing a thing, but it's not a good movie. <laughs> Okay. Um do you like this director? Yes. Have you always liked this director? 
Uh, I mean, I don't think I saw much of this director until mm-hmm. the past 15 years, but because I probably wasn't allowed to watch any of those movies. Verhoeven? Yes. Verhoeven in 2000. Oscar Hollow nominee. Man? Hollow, Hollow Man. Man. Yeah, 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 sure. Uh, Oscar nominee, yes. What's the other year? Oh, five. This is from a director who we have done almost all of their movies, but not this one. Um, Zwick? No. Not Ridley Scott, even though we've done a lot of Ridley Scott. Um, uh, think different brand of filmmaking than those. So not these not, big, huge movies. Not these big, so small movies that we've done a lot of. This small to medium movie. scale movies. Right. James L. Brooks. No. no. It's a dumb guess. Um, small we've to medium scale. We've done at scale. least three movies by this director. And I think we've done three. I would guess that we've done three. And we have very, very different opinions about each of those movies but we're in agreement about each of them oh interesting oh five oh five was it an oscar nominee or awards contender in any way uh it was definitely uh this had oscar buzz movie no have we done it have we done this movie we have not we have okay. done three movies by this director right 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 um We've done one that is a significant uh, disappointment that you can see the better version of the movie that it could be. We have done one that we both absolutely love, and we have done one that uh, is maybe one of the worst movies we've ever done on the show. Oh, wow. That is a that is a spread. Um, yeah, yeah, Sisterhood. What are our really bad movies? Um... One of uh, of the worst movies we've ever done, but I'm pretty sure you'd have to go further back for when we did it. I think this is an early episode. Uh, Mimi Leader. Um, um, Once again, not Ridley Scott. One of our earlier movies. Um, Uh, You did mention... uh, (laughs) This is going to give it away. Uh, You mentioned uh, one of this director's more recent movies, and I refused to talk about it earlier this episode. Oh, God, what did you refuse to talk about? Um, Fuck, I did. It was like mere minutes ago, right? Um, Perhaps starring Carrie Coon, obviously. Oh, Ghostbusters, Jason Reitman. Jason Reitman in 05, yes. We have done a lot of Jason Reitman in 05 is Thank You for Smoking? Yes, Thank You for Smoking. Don't remember her in that movie at all. Wow. Kim Dickens. That's an odd known for. That was hard. That was hard. <laughs> so was Dave Franco. I'm going to get you next time. Dave Franco had box office hits and not fucking... That you do not think about him for. Fine. Fair. Fair. Anyway, that's our episode. If you want more of This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Please also subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thishadoscarbuzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you? Oh, I am on uh, Letterboxd at Joe Reed. I am on Blue Sky uh at joe reed joe reed i guess it's their their handles are not very clean but just like search joe reed on blue sky and you'll find me like that's fine uh yeah 
Uh, and I am also on Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris v. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Kevin Mebius for their technical guidance, and Taylor Cole for our theme music. Woo-hoo! Remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so be the rising corpse of our dead horse uh, <laughs> with a bright, shiny five-star review. That's all for this week. We hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.